right. Amen. Tonight we're going to talk about Joseph. We're going to talk about Joseph, the 12 tribes, the sons of Jacob, and Joseph. You have a handout here on the back. You can grab that, and you'll be able to follow along with us us a little bit. But uh, Joseph. How many people know the story of Joseph? All right. We're going to talk a little bit about him, and then we're going to talk about his sons. And... uh, go through this a little bit piece by piece. And as always, like I said, uh, in every episode that we've done here this uh, summer, we have talked about Jacob's prophecy, Moses' prophecy, and how those tribes live that out in biblical prophecy uh, through the end of the divided kingdom and then also how we apply that to our lives uh, and the church of today. Okay, so that's kind of how we're going to do this. We're going to spend a little bit more time in Joseph's life. But Joseph, his name means he will increase. That's the meaning of his name. He will increase. Or he could also be called, may God add. And that comes from Rachel, his mom, when she gave birth to him. That That's the prophecy or the exclamation that she gave when she had been longing for a son Uh, for Jacob. And so, he will increase. And his symbol on the uh, flag or their their flag or their staff would be a sheaf of grain. The stone uh, would end up being, and we're going to talk this a little bit, but it would be two stones, and it would be Manasseh, his son, would be yellowish brown, and Ephraim would be an orangish red. That would be on the priestly breastplate. And so, he's the 11th son of Jacob, born to Rachel in Genesis 30. And Joseph will go on to have two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. All right, And Manasseh will mean one who forgets in Genesis 41, and Ephraim will mean double fruitfulness. And that is going to make a lot of difference in kind of our talk, the names of his sons, because that kind of describes the whole story here. But one who forgets is Manasseh, and Ephraim is double fruitfulness. So let's just kind of look in Genesis chapter 37, Uh, You can just kind of flip there and just hold into 37 and look in Genesis 41. And let me just kind of talk through the life of Joseph just for for a second. So Joseph is born to his father, Jacob, slash Israel. His name's Jacob or Israel. When he was around 90 years old. And he's the favored son. We know this. He's the favored son. And his dad makes him what? A coat of many colors, right? A a fancy coat, a a royalty coat. And in a sense, it was just to show his favoritism and maybe the position he wanted his son because it's his most loved wife, Rachel. It's Rachel's firstborn, or Rachel's son. So Rachel, his best, his favorite wife, and now it's his favorite son. It's a son of, of his old age. And so he really dotes on this son. Makes all the other brothers mad. And they're all older by now. They're all fully grown, even even old. Uh, well, for this time period, it wouldn't have been, but, you know, they're, they're good up in age. And they, even though they have this young little whippersnapper, 16-year-old boy, they don't really like him because he's daddy's favorite, they're jealous, and not only that, but Joseph begins to have all these dreams about his family bowing down to him, even his mother and father, and so they plot to kill him. And on one day, they find that courage to do that, and here's these other uh, 11 sons plotting to kill their brother, Reuben kind of makes a defense that we don't kill him, as does Judah. And, but they don't really go all the way in it. They just kind of say, hey, let's put him in a pit or let's sell him to slave traders. And they keep the blood off their hands, but at the end of the day, they still go along with it. So he gets sold off into slavery and goes into Egypt. And in Egypt, man, it just gets from bad to worse. He goes in what seems to be good, goes to Potiphar's house, so one of these rulers, and he's there serving, and he gets favored. But then, once you know, he's got a not-so-good wife, and his wife makes a move on Joseph, this little good-looking, smart kid, and he rejects it because he holds true to his daddy's teaching on God, and she accuses him of attempted rape, and then so you're going to choose the woman's, uh, the leader's wife, and so they send him to jail. Goes to jail, finds favor even in jail. The hand of the Lord is always on Joseph. Finds favor in jail. Uh, and it gets to the, the, the gatekeeper, man, the guy who's running the, the prison. Man, he likes him, and he sets him over even other prisoners. And then, finally, he starts hearing having dreams again. And he gets to be known for this. And one day, uh, 
some people from the king are there and they hear Joseph's dreams and it just kind of all this divine appointment begins to happen. And finally, one day, the Pharaoh is bothered about this crazy bad dreams of cows eating other cows and famine and just kind of crazy stuff. And so Joseph interprets those dreams by divine appointment. But I mean, that guy has suffered and suffered and suffered, but he's always remained faithful. And because all this divine prophecy and all this would work out, it would be a, uh, the dreams that Joseph had about his life would begin to come to pass. He would become the head of state, or the secretary of state for Egypt. He would help Pharaoh store up for seven years of plenty before they would have seven years of famine. And in fact, Joseph would begin to help save the whole world, the known world at that time in that area. Sound familiar about somebody? Savior of the world, right? Okay. And so Joseph is, becomes his dream. His brothers come to Egypt needing food. He knows, this, he knows it's them. He doesn't reveal himself. And through some trickery and some little scheming he does, he organizes it to where all the brothers come in and he reveals himself and he forgives them. And he says, what you meant for evil, God has meant for good. And God used this to save us. And so there's restoration And we see God's favor and His fruitfulness on Joseph. And Joseph in that time, in Genesis, look in Genesis chapter 41, verse 50, it says, And to Joseph were born two sons. Now in this time period of collecting this grain, before the years of famine came, excuse me, uh, before the famine came, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest, on bore to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. In the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Okay, so Manasseh is his firstborn son. It says, God has made me forget how bad it all was. He's made it all pass away because God's good. And I went through all this bad stuff and toil in my father's house, but now God's made it good. And the same he called Ephraim, for God calls me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So forgetting and fruitful. That's his two sons. Forgetful. Wouldn't that be kind of your name? Forgetful. But that's really what it wasn't meaning bad to Manasseh, but it means God's helped me to forget the bad past. And to my other son, God has shown me fruitfulness. And I see that. I see God's blessing. And so he's blessed his sons with that. And it says, uh, this is the legacy. So here we are. At the end of his life, Israel has now lived for uh, 17 years in Egypt. And before he dies, here's what he's about to do. And look in Genesis chapter 48, verse 5. Israel has now, Jacob, or slash Israel, has lived in Egypt for 17 years. And before he dies, before he blesses his own sons, look what he does to Joseph. Now, remember, Joseph's his favorite. Now, he has another son that was born when Joseph uh, was younger. Uh, Before Rachel died, he had another son, Benjamin, the youngest brother. We'll talk about Benjamin next week. But here's, Joseph was 110 years old before he died. And all of this is prophesied that God's going to bring everything back to Canaan. And so, knowing this... Jacob, Genesis 48, verse 5, says, Now to your two sons. So Jacob brings Joseph in and his two grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he says, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, his two firstborns, they shall be mine. Your offspring who you beget after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. So almost blind, Jacob or Israel calls Joseph's sons together, sets him at his bed. Now, he's about to bless his sons here in a little while on his deathbed. But he calls his grandsons. Ephraim is standing now on Israel's left, and Manasseh, the oldest, is on Israel's right. And look in verse 14. Then Israel stretched out his right hand, and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger. Now, you know, right hand is the favored, right? He puts his right hand on the youngest, and then he puts his left hand on the oldest. So he flips, right? And it says, uh, guiding his hands knowingly, 
For Manasseh was the firstborn, and he blessed Joseph, and that's the house of Joseph, and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Remember, he wrestled with an angel. We would think that to believe Jesus Christ in, 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 in uh, you know, pre-birth. Bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So he's putting the covenantal blessing that he would receive from his fathers now onto his grandsons. This is unusual. Unusual. Because it goes down the lineage. It's supposed to go to your oldest. Now remember, Reuben got passed up because he slept with his father's concubine or his maid, right? Simeon and Levi got passed over, the first blessing, because they killed a bunch of people uh, at the rape of their sister. And Jacob said, you didn't do it in a righteous way. And then he gives Reuben a portion of the firstborn blessing, but not all of it. He doesn't give him all of it. He gives him the power part, the authority, or sorry, Judah. He gives Judah the authority or the power part, which we talked about the line of Judah a few weeks ago. He held back the rest of it for Joseph, okay, which we're going to look at in a second. So here's what he's doing. He's about to transmit some of that firstborn blessing before he's touched any of his other sons. He's already in his mind about to give that firstborn blessing to Joseph's children, all right? He says, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. He took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head and to put it on Manasseh's head. But Joseph said to his father, no, 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 not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his. So he's got, dude, you're old, you're blind, you don't know what you're doing. Let me fix it out here for you. And then here's what his dad says. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall become a people. And he also shall be great, Manasseh, the oldest. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his descendants shall be called, become a multitude of nations. One, I just want you to stop just for a second and think about how in tune, despite all of the issues of Jacob's life, man, I mean, he wasn't the greatest father. He wasn't father of the year. He had four wives. He never really did lead his family just great. But at the end of his life, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He knew something was going to happen in his grandsons, and he knowingly knew, I'm blind, I'm getting old, I'm on my deathbed, but I know which of my sons in the future is going to do great things for you. I know how it's all going to, God's delivered, put this in my heart. So think about, I just want to pause just to think about how I need to be more Holy Spirit filled and how in tune with God I should be, you know, and and we think about this. These guys are, this isn't just something he's saying, this is something I feel the Holy Spirit coming over me, and I feel like I need to pull my grandkids in today, and God's told me today to say something prophetic over my kids. So, you know, we think about that for an evangelist or a special meeting, but this is a grandfather prophesying over his grandsons. And I, I think that's something we need to get back into for our, our today, that prophesying and speaking God's Word over our children and what God wants to do over our children and our grandchildren. That's just a, a plug there. But, okay... Now look what he says. So he blessed them this day. By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Not Manasseh and Ephraim. May may God make you Ephraim first, Manasseh second. And thus he said, Ephraim before Manasseh. Verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. He knew. Joseph, but you know, here's the deal. Joseph's going to die in Egypt like his father does, but they're going to take their bones back, right? Okay. Moreover, I have given you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and bow. Boom, right there, verse 22. Judah gets the power, the authority. Joseph gets the double portion. And later on, Levi will get the priesthood. All three of those are part of the paternal blessing of the oldest, okay? Because Levi did redeem himself, he lost his land, but the Lord became his inheritance and he became the priest of the family. Judah became the authority, the power, the patriarch, and Joseph now gets the double portion, which is the double inheritance. Remember, uh, a firstborn is going to get all three of those. You're going to be the priest, the patriarch, and you're going to have the prosperity, 
of double the land. So if uh, you know you have multiple kids and you say everybody gets a hundred dollars, well your firstborn's going to get two hundred. See how that works? You're going to get double what the other kids get. He gives it to Joseph sons before he ever blesses his others. All right, so that's Genesis 48. So Jacob makes Ephraim truly at this moment double fruit, which is what his name means, and he gives Joseph a double portion. And now, how many tribes of Israel are there? There are 13 tribes of Israel. How many people knew that? There are 13 tribes of Israel. Uh, because what he's done is given Joseph two tribes. So if somebody asks you how many tribes of Israel are there, you want to be really smart, Alec, you could say there's 13. And they're going to think, well, no, no, there's not. Why is there only 12 and why do we only say 12 tribes? Because Levi doesn't take any land. There will be 12 allotments of land in the, in the inheritance, right? Levi's portion will be in every town across all, I mean, in every in every uh, region, in certain towns, and around the temple, around the tabernacle. They don't have an inheritance other than God. So there are only 12 allotments given, but there are in fact 13 tribes. If you want to get real honest, there's his sister, who we don't ever talk about. Um, but there, so there's really those, that many kids. There's 14 uh, children that we could think about as what Jacob is saying, I have. All right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so the Levites become the ones that they don't get uh, physical land and they don't get uh, reference like what we'd say in the lists. Uh, when we say 12, we're going to say uh, all of those and we're going to say uh, Joseph will not be named. It'll just be Ephraim and Manasseh. All right? so, but when we say 12 tribes and you want to include Levi, normally it'll say the house of Joseph. And it won't say Ephraim and Manasseh. It'll just say Joseph. So, just how you write it, right? So, if you put Levi in the list, you can only say Joseph, which we know is his two sons. But if you take Levi out, then you're going to put in Ephraim and Manasseh. So, it always stays at 12, because God likes that number. But, but we'll kind of get into that in a little bit in Revelation, because it is going to stay 12 in different places. But yes... When they divide the land, it'll be 12 allotments because a Levite doesn't get anything other than God and working for him. And they're in all the tribes. Levites will go into all the tribes. All right, look in Genesis 49, verse 22. So there are 13 tribes with only 12 inheriting land because Levi takes the priesthood. Now let's talk about Jacob's prophecy now. So now he calls in all of his sons. And little do they know, Joseph's already got the double portion, and, and hey, Daddy already gave uh, us the first part of the... We're the firstborn son now, even though I'm Joseph, and now my sons are going to take inheritance. You know, that's not going to make them happy, right? They don't even know they're getting passed over yet. So anyway, Jacob dies. As he's dying, he's blessing his sons. Look in Genesis 49, verse 22. Here's what he prophesies over the house of Joseph. He says, Joseph is a fruitful bow. What does Ephraim mean? Double fruit. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a well. His branches run over the wall. Now, pause for a second. Remember what he said about some of his other sons? Like, basically, you're good for nothing. You're not going to amount to anything. You're going to be like a lion or a snake or a viper. And he said all these other things. Then he gets to Joseph. <laughs> you're a fruitful bow. You're going to be like a well. You're going to just overflowing. Your branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly, bitterly grieved him shot at him, and hated him, but his bow remained in strength. Who do you think he's talking about there? His brothers. Y'all tried to kill him, but it didn't work. God favored him. God lifted him up. He saved us all. And so his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of me, Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. So he's basically saying God's been revealed in his life. And by God your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with the blessing of heaven above, blessing of the deep that lies beneath, blessing of the breast and of the womb, and the blessing of your Father have excelled the blessing of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be up on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separated from his brothers. And they're over here looking at Dad like, and I'm going to be a snake? You know what I mean? Like, What? What did, you gave the double portion to him, and, but y'all sold him into slavery. 
<laughs> like, y'all killed him. Y'all covered his coat with blood and told me he was dead. And, you know, all up. So you kind of get what's coming to you. It, what goes around comes around. At the end of life, you think you get all of my money? No, I'm giving it to my favorite son, Joseph, who saved us all, by the way, because he came, he was faithful and God made him fruitful. And you look at that in the same way that God had a way because Joseph's faithfulness he made his life fruitful. In the midst of trials and tribulations, Joseph remained faithful. And the blessing that Jacob prophesies over him is, in fact, abounding fruitfulness. There's a whole lesson and sermon in itself right there that faithfulness God sees and blesses with fruitfulness. And Joseph learned that in the midst of that trial because he named his own son double fruit and forget forgetting my bad past. That's how God works, man. I'm faithful. Go through hard times. God makes my future. Look at Job. What happens to Job? Goes through all that stuff, but still holds on and doesn't really... He has some questioning times, but he really holds on to God. And at the end, God gives him a hundredfold. You know, and even the Bible says with Jesus, he says, there are those who love houses and farms and families in this life, but in the next life, God's going to reward them a hundred times as much. And because God blesses faithfulness with fruitfulness. That's the lesson of Joseph's life, all right? And so Jacob prophesies over that. And if you look in this passage, there are five different titles of the Lord that Jacob says. This is a great revelation for, for of who God is in Joseph's life. And in a sense, it's a preaching point to the other sons. He's saying that there is a character of God, that he's the mighty God of Jacob, he is the shepherd. He is the stone of Israel. He is the God, the El, the great God of, my, of your father. He is the Almighty. In a sense, he's saying, if you trust God, He is so big, He'll carry you through anything else. That's what He's showing His sons. And He even says, that, and on the crown of the head of Him who was separated from His brothers, I have a note there that that word separate is the same word uh, Nazir, which will later be used to talk about the Nazarite vow, meaning that God separates for a purpose. Remember, Jesus was a Nazarite. Samson was a Nazarite. They didn't have wine, and they didn't cut their hair, and, and all that kind of stuff. They didn't touch dead things. That word right there, separate, is where that comes from. In, in Numbers chapter 6, verse 2, uh, it's the separation, and God separated him from his brothers. And so, if you look in this, Joseph really becomes a foreshadow of someone like Jesus Christ. We call it a type, a T-Y-P-E, a type. He's a type of Christ, a foreshadow. Uh, he's not Christ. It's nothing about Christ. But it's just, he, there's a lot of similarities because Joseph, does, he goes through tests and trials. He bears the burden of his family. He becomes the shepherd of his family. He saves his whole family, even the nation, uh, and all these other things, he becomes this type, this cornerstone of his family, just like Jesus. Uh, and so what we see here, Jacob is saying this. His, his house is going to prosper. It's going to expand. And even though there's going to be severe pressure, they're going to win with God. Uh, and so let's talk about his sons just for a second. Let's talk about the tribes of Joseph and, and look at what really happens. And I'll be honest, this is the most, of all the ones we've done so far, this one bothers me the most, all right? I, I think all of them are great. Judah was one of my favorite. Levi was one of my favorite. Uh, even Zebulun and Issachar, kind of the last day's church feel, are some of my favorite of what we studied. And this one, I just don't like. I, I just, it bothers me because of the legacy of Joseph. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit why. So, Joseph's sons go on. Joseph dies. Jacob dies. They become, um, they come into Egypt. They're there. But a new Pharaoh comes along. The family doesn't keep the legacy of Joseph alive. They don't keep a remembrance. And they come under bondage. They're in slavery for hundreds of years. And finally, you know, Moses comes on, let my people go. God parts the waters. They go in uh, the wilderness with God for 40 years. And there are two tribes of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. And they follow the tabernacle in different places. And at the end of that whole 40-year saga, Moses, before he dies also prophesies like Jacob. Look in Deuteronomy 33, verse 13. By this time, Ephraim and Manasseh have both, together, have become the most powerful part of Israel, just like 
Joseph or Jacob prophesied. And sometimes we think, man, Judah's that, you know, you think powerful Judah. But in fact, most of the history of Israel, the most powerful tribe was the tribe of Joseph. Why? It's two tribes, basically. Ephraim and Manasseh. They're huge. Huge. And for a majority of the years of Israel's history, especially through the judges and the life of Samuel, up into the life of Samuel, so through the Exodus experience, through all the judges after Joshua, and up until Samuel and the election of King Saul, right? If you want to talk about who's the most biggest, best tribes in Israel, you're going to say Ephraim and Manasseh. You're not going to say Judah. It wasn't, that wasn't how it worked. Judah was great, but man, Ephraim and Manasseh, that's, that's the big boys. In Deuteronomy 33, here's what Moses says, verse 13. Joseph, of Joseph, Moses prophesied, Bless the Lord, blessed of the Lord will be his land, with the choice things of heaven, with the dew and from the deep lying beneath, with the choice yield of the sun, with the choice produce of the month, with the best things of ancient mountains, and with the choice things of everlasting hills, and with the choice things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Let it come with the head of Joseph into the crown of the head of the one who is distinguished among his brothers. Again, if you're in the other tribes, you're thinking, wish I was born over there. You know what I mean? Like, we're in the tribe. We're not even mentioned. He didn't even mention us, you know, and Dan. And the firstborn of his ox, majesty is his, and the horns are the horns of the wild ox, and he'll push out the peoples all at once to the ends of the earth. And those are the ten thousands of Ephraim and the thousands of Manasseh. Notice how he says that? He does say the youngest is going to have ten thousands, and Manasseh is going to have thousands, but both are going to be blessed. Okay, why does that matter? I want you to just look real quick, just think about something in this. And this is kind of why it's going to get bothering me as we get into what happens to these two tribes. He says these guys are going to be like the choice vine. When I think about the choice vine, I think about John 15 when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and unless you remain in me, you can do nothing of yourself. And it's only through me you're going to bear fruit. And he says, Joseph's lineage is like this. It's like the best overflowing vine, grapes, produce. They're going to get the best of the best. God is just blessing them because of his sovereignty and what Joseph was faithful. So his descendants are going to be fruitful. There's a whole preaching point in there for parenting. You faithful, you can bless your children with fruitful. And he says, they're going to be like that choice vine. So I think about Jesus Christ. And he says, he's going to be the firstborn among many brethren. That's what it says about Jesus. He's saying he's going to be the first of all of his brothers. Jesus, it says about Jesus, I think in Romans, uh, yeah, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that Jesus was raised from the dead as the firstborn of many brothers. Jesus was set as head. Like, if Jesus is raised first, we all get raised with him. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the firstborn. He's God's firstborn son. And Joseph, he says, Joseph's the firstborn son above many others of all of his other brothers. And so I see this, you see Christ, you just see Christ in his, in Jacob's blessing, you're faithful, you're fruitful, you're, you're the good, you, God's revealed you as the good shepherd, he's revealed you as the cornerstone, he's revealed you uh, as the almighty one, a God who carries our burdens, who uses you to save the world, and now your descendants, Ephraim and Manasseh, Man, they're going to be like a choice fine. They're going to be the firstborn of many brethren. And as a New Testament Christian, I can look at that and say, wow, I just see Jesus all through that. I see like this, these people could really be like the ultimate, godly, awesome, powerful, prosperous people that God has destined them to be. You, go, you see where I'm going with this? It's not going to happen, right? Okay, so here's the sad news. All right, the territory of Joseph. So here's what happens. I'm going to go kind of quick just so we can get to the, the talking point here. The territory now, Moses has prophesied. Now he dies. Joshua now sends out lots of the Holy Spirit. They cast lots. The Holy Spirit begins to divvy it all out. And here's what happens. Ephraim and half of Manasseh settle on the east side of the Jordan. So we've got a map up here. So remember the story was as Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh showed up, they're going to cross over the Jordan River. They come up on the east side, but Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben all say, man, this is, we've got a lot of sheep and cows. This looks like really good land here. We don't really want to go over there to the promised land. Can we just make this our promised land? Y'all go enjoy that, have our side. Moses gets mad. God gets mad. They say, the only way that's going to happen is you go help us take the promised land, then you come back. I said, okay, we'll do that. So this whole land over here on the east side of the Jordan, Manasseh, 
Half of Manasseh stays there, Gad and Reuben. We'll call that land Gilead. You ever heard that name in Scripture before? Gilead, the land of Gilead? That's Gilead. It's the right side of the Jordan River, okay? The east side. And it's coming from the word Gad, Gilead. But half of Manasseh stays there. But the other side, they begin to allot it. Manasseh kind of goes to the north and Ephraim to the south. They become the central part of Israel. You'll have Galilee above them. You'll have the Judean hills below them. But pretty much the entire central part of the entire country is Manasseh. Both sides of the thing. Manasseh, remember, he's the oldest. Manasseh gets the largest part because he's blessed. But what Ephraim gets, it looks a lot smaller. But what Ephraim gets down here just above Jerusalem is the most fruitful part of Israel. So in a sense, they're both blessed. Manasseh gets the largest portion of the land, but Ephraim gets the most fruitful portion of the land, and from Ephraim comes many leaders. So he is doubly blessed. He's blessed with the most fruitful, even though it's smaller, and with great leadership. But what happens is, as they go into this land, in Joshua chapter 17, I preached a few sermons on this, and I don't have time to go into that tonight, but what happens is, Ephraim and Manasseh, on the left side, right? And we're going to talk a little bit more about each tribe. But Ephraim and Manasseh on the left side, on the, on the uh, west side. they got the east side. Sorry, east side is Gilead, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben on the east side of the Jordan. On the west side, the left side, Manasseh and Ephraim. The Bible says that when all the tribes came in to the promised land, they did not fully drive out the Canaanites, some of the giants in the land and some of the other, other, other pagans, okay? And it says that really God left some in there because of their unfaithfulness and that they might know war and not get lax and go into idolatry. But there's another catch to that is they allowed them to stay in the land and was disobedient to God, made compromises for forced labor. That's going to fall into their, that's going to cause their downfall. There's a whole sermon in there about not getting rid of all the sin in our hearts and keeping those secret sins and hiding things away because that's what they do. They didn't get all the tribes out. You're going to see idolatry creep in over and over again for the rest of their time in the promised land. They're living in the God-fearing life and the God-blessed life, but there's secret little enemies. There's enemies of compromise. They've compromised with all over. They didn't give them all away. And the other side is they're scared. There are giants in their portion of the land. So Ephraim and Manasseh, even though there's an enormous amount of people, they all crowd into the smallest hill country, wooded hill country, and they're complaining to Joshua. Now, Joshua had gone in at an earlier time and killed this uh, giant king, and he killed him, and, and now it was just the, the other giants and the other pagans. But these pagans now, these are the people that put their heads on spikes, people's heads on spikes. They got chariots with spikes that cut people's legs off. They're pretty bad dudes. But man, Ephraim and Asa, they're huge, they're powerful. Don't you see the prophecy? God's going to make you mighty. He's great almighty God. He's the good shepherd. He's with you like he's with Joseph. He's going to make you fruitful, prosperous, powerful. There's your prophecies. But they stay in the hill country where the chariots can't reach. And they're scared. And they're crowded. And they're complaining. And even though God's given them the land, they haven't taken it yet. There's a whole sermon in there too. So they come and complain to Joshua. In the middle of their blessing, they get bitter. God said, here's the land. You're powerful. You're great. You're awesome. I'm going to do great things through you. Go take it. Well, I don't know, God. You know, there's these giants, and I don't know if we can do it or not. So we're just going to stay home and watch TV all day. And they just... Anyway, I get it. I'm not going to preach. Okay, so they stay in. Joshua says, what are you complaining to me for? God give you all this land... Well, one, here's another solution. Go cut down all the trees where you are. Make the forest into an open place. You'll kind of have more family time there. Then here's another idea. Take those trees you cut down, make them into weapons, and go kill the giants. Because I already killed the head giant. Y'all can go take the land God called you. And he begins to prophesy over them in Joshua 17, uh, maybe even the 18. And he says, you are a powerful people. God's done, God's blessed you. You are a powerful people. Take the authority and the power you have and take the land. And that kind of ends the chapter in Joshua 17. 
And so what happens is they didn't have faith in the power of God in the prophecies that they've received about who they are. They didn't know who they were, didn't believe it, and they lacked that guster to just, yeah, go go be the people. We're powerful. We're numerous. We're the biggest, baddest boys in, in Israel. We're, we're, God's been with us. We've gone these 40 years. Look what He's done. Take faith. Take over your giants. See the sermon? Okay. All right. it, can preach, it preaches itself. I don't have to do it. So they don't. At some point, they do merge into there a little bit. But they really just fail to live up to the God calling on their life. And they begin to barter and compromise with the enemy. And it is so... Sad. I think this is the worst story of all of them because for me, a person who has so much potential in Jesus Christ, you've seen these people before? Man, they've got so much talent and their charisma and they're filled with the Spirit and God wants to do great things in their life, but they just have little areas of compromise and they lack the faith and the grit and the hard work to really just destroy some giants in this world. And it's sad. it's just sad. I just I I just kind of wanted to like not do tonight because I was just like God, I don't like this story. It's not I don't I don't I wanted a happy ending. God, I want it to be like, man, yeah, we're powerful. The Holy Spirit filled us. We can go take the giants because and I think about Joshua. He's like a Christ. He's defeated the king of the giants. And now you're God and that's for us as Christians too. Jesus, it says, He's defeated the devil on the cross in Colossians chapter 1. That He disarmed the principalities and powers. He made a spectacle of them on the cross, triumphing over them. But you know, you and I every day, what does it say? You have to still resist the devil, and then he'll flee from you. He's defeated, but you still have to fight him every day. And that's them too. The victory was won. The battle was given. The promise was there. The power was there. They just needed the faith and the hard work, faith plus works, right, to go win the victory. And yet, they missed out on the blessing, stayed crowded in their little churches, and never went out in the community, and never got evangelistic, and just stayed in and said, well, it's us four and no more. This is all we've got. I don't know why we don't feel blessed. I don't know why I'm depressed. I don't know why I'm overwhelmed. I don't know why I feel like I'm not living in the full Christian life I ought to be living in. And Joshua's up there saying, guys, go take the land. You're powerful people. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. God's prophesied all these things over you. Go do and be the people God's called you to be. Whew, that'll preach. Amen? That's us. That's us. Go take the land. Be the people God's called you to be. I told I wasn't going to preach. Anyway, Lord, forgive me. Okay, let me tell you about these tribes just real quick. Um, got about a few minutes left. So they had much potential, but it required faith. And they missed that persistence. All right? They missed their blessing and their bitterness, even though God tried to remind them of their purpose and their power. And because they put these giants and these people under forced labor, they did not drive them out. What would result is just tragedy. Not just tragedy for their tribes, tragedy for the whole nation. All right? Manasseh, the one who forgets, We'd have East Manasseh on the Jordan side, I said that, and Reuben and Gad. Gilead would be that rugged land for cattle. And from them would call famous people uh, like a judge named Jair. Uh, You'd have a judge named Jephna. You'd have the king uh, uh, Jehu of Israel would come out of there. You'd have the prophet Elijah, so we think, would come out of the uh, east side of Manasseh, across the Jordan. On the west side, you'd have the west side of Manasseh, the largest portion of land in Canaan between Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea. It would have the city of Megiddo in the valley of Armageddon. That whole, it would have most of the valley. It would have a lot of the trade going through it. It would be a very good place to battle for the trade, the, the valleys going up and through it. Remember I said Zebulun and Issachar on the end of the Armageddon, Jezreel Valley, which is the valley of Armageddon. Manasseh, though, that's most, it's, it's kind of at the top part of Manasseh. You see, I don't know if you can see it, but Megiddo's at the top part of Manasseh. 
So it has the valley, very big trade route, a lot of battles happen there. Again, they're powerful people. It was one of the most valuable areas in the whole country for trade. It had fresh springs, but like I said, they failed to drive out the Canaanites, and that's where you hear stories about Gideon. Gideon comes from the East tribe. Remember Gideon? He's got to fight all these Midianite people and stuff. I mean, that's, that's all in that tribe, right? Gideon. Um, then you have Ephraim, which I just said is double fruit. Ephraim, south of Manasseh, north of Judah and Benjamin. It's in the center part of the country. Ephraim is one of the most blessed territories. It's, it's fertile. It's got the best rainfall. It's even more plentiful than Judah to the south. And this is where we would call Samaria. That would be later be called Samaria. It's the center part of Egypt. It would include the city of Shiloh. Uh, if you remember Shiloh in the Bible where the ark stood for hundreds of years. You'd have famous people come out of Ephraim like Joshua, right? Samuel the prophet. But then you'd have guys like Jeroboam who would split the kingdom between north and south. And what happens is, because Ephraim's preeminence as one of the most powerful tribes, even though it's got one of the smallest lands, not the smallest, but a smaller one, right? It's doubly fruitful, but it's got powerful people. Jeroboam would split the kingdom from Solomon's son. So David comes, unites all 12 tribes into one uh, after Saul. And they all unite under David. And then David's son Solomon comes. And Solomon has some indiscretions and a bunch of wives. And he doesn't raise his son real good. Solomon's son's a little brat of a man. And, and he makes people mad and taxes them and stuff like that. And tries to prove himself. And for that reason, people rebel. Jeroboam, one of these uh, outcasts, rises up and leads the ten tribes in the north to break away from Judah and Benjamin in the south. And so all ten tribes of the north. Uh, be, you know, again, Simeon's kind of in the south, so it's kind of misleading to say ten. It's really nine. But Simeon, some people think, goes north or has dissolved by that time anyway. But um, Jeroboam leads those ten. And because, remember, I got Dan up there. Dan's made idolatry in the north, total idolatry. Now, Jeroboam, he becomes a man who just follows the devil, I mean, he, he leads that tribe into apostasy. He sets up pagan altars in multiple places in Dan and, and Bethel, the very place where their ancestor uh, Jacob saw the ladder of God. And I mean, he just sets up a whole nother... They even write their own Bible. They, they dis, disavow the one, uh, the Old Testament. Right at the beginning, they write their own codes of conduct and start their own priesthood. And I mean, it just goes from bad to worse. But that seed had been in that people for some time. Ephraim had not purged it out and not been the people God called them to be, as had all the other tribes were at fault too. You can't just fault one. They were all that way. And the whole ten tribes falls quickly into idolatry, uh, and Assyria will come and take them. But what we'll see is, if you look in the Bible and you, you hear this name Ephraim a lot, you'll have Judah and Ephraim. Judah gets called... Judah is almost later on synonymous with the southern kingdom, and because of its power, Ephraim becomes synonymous with the northern ten tribes. So you could say the northern tribes, you could say the, the nation of Israel, that would be the same as the northern ten tribes, or you could say the nation of Ephraim. All of it would mean the same thing. If you're talking about any time in Israel's history after the divide, Israel, Ephraim, and the ten northern tribes are all the same thing. On the other side of the track, you're going to have the kingdom of Judah or the two lower tribes, okay? So Ephraim versus Judah is what you'll happen, or Israel versus Judah. It's all the same, but sometimes the prophets in Scripture, when they talk about all ten northern tribes that fell away, they just say the tribe or the nation of Ephraim because it was so powerful. It was pre- uh, predominant, okay? So this one tribe that... This is the sad part. Is this one tribe that was known for being doubly fruitful became known as being doubly wicked. And it bothers me when I think about Joseph up in heaven watching the blessing of God getting squandered out of his descendants. And it reminds me when Paul starts talking about finishing well and I've fought the good fight 
and I finished the race, you know, and, 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 I, and, I, and I know there's a crown laid up. He, he even says it in Corinthians, you know, that we need to run a race. We need to be disciplined in our bodies like a good athlete, that we won't be disapproved or lose, that we should win, run to win. And you need to run to finish and finish well. I mean, there's all kinds of verses in Scripture about finishing well. Jesus says don't, don't even build the building unless you can afford it, right? You count the costs. You've got to know that you can finish this thing. And, and Ephraim, they don't finish well. And it's a horribly sad story for me. But I also have to remember that every single tribe in this nation, Judah included, fell into idolatry and was carried away into exile. And it reminds me about the end. That the the Word of God says that we have all fallen short and there is not one that's holy or righteous. We've all sinned, right? And at the end of the world, there's going to be a separation that every person in the world will turn their back on God except for this holy remnant. Let me give you a little nugget of good news, and then we're going to talk a little bit for a second. Here's the good news, and I wrote this on your notes. It says, holy remnant. Despite the moral failure, though, of majority of the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh and the whole northern tribe, there's some good news. At various times, there were secret, devout believers within this tribe. And this is, this is us today. This is the church of today, right? Manasseh and Ephraim, you can look in it uh, in 1 Chronicles 15. There would be some in Manasseh and Ephraim that would join Judah and making a covenant to seek the Lord in that generation, in the generation of King Asa of Judah. They would make a covenant to seek God. And then if you go on in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, some would respond to Hezekiah's call to call a, a national Passover and repentance. And, and some would come to Hezekiah's call. They would come out of idolatry. They would come across the border, come south to Judah, purify themselves, have Passover with Hezekiah, and leave their idolatry. There'd be a revival. And even later on, uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 34, again, in another generation, some from Ephraim and Manasseh would come and give to the rebuilding of the house of God under King Josiah. So in this period of of wickedness and idolatry and falling away, there would be people seemingly in every generation who would hold true to faithfulness like Joseph. And this is a picture of the world today. The entire world is falling away or has fallen away. What you thought was good but without God is nothing. Right? I don't care how fruitful or prosperous or powerful that nation is or what they once were, America, what we were started out as, what we were blessed as, what we were prophesied over. If we're not faithful to God, we won't be fruitful. Right? And we see this, all this great, what was once wonderful and prosperous and fruitful has fallen away into idolatry and eventually goes into exile. But in every generation, there's a holy remnant of faithful believers that God preserves. And I believe that at that exile that God had, and we see it uh, in in, uh, Jeremiah, he went into exile. He was a faithful believer. You see it with Nehemiah in exile, was a faithful believer. That there were faithful believers in the midst of all of this pagan idolatry, and that's us, the church today. In the midst of a falling and crumbling nation, God has secret, true, authentic, Holy Spirit-filled believers in every generation who are crying out to Him. And you know, this whole nation, this world may go into exile, it may crumble, it may falter. And even if we go into exile with it, if we are faithful, we will be fruitful. may not be fruitful in the man's idea, or the man's kingdom, but with God, we will be fruitful. And we know the fruitfulness that we're really looking for is fruitful in the Holy Spirit, right? And, and, and so it's sad, but, you know, that's how the real world's going to be. It's sad. It, it really is sad. And I think, oh, Joseph, Ephraim, Manasseh, how, how, man, what you were given, what you were given. I think about America. America, what you were given, what you were founded upon, what was given to you, and how we compromise. And that compromise leads to idolatry, and that idolatry leads to destruction. And, and, but yet God has a holy remnant. And that's the hope. 
all of us who are, whole, who are holding on to Jesus, holding on to his teaching and faith, we will be raptured, we will be redeemed, we will be restored. God is going to take us out and redeem us. And the Bible prophesies in Israel in its last days, God is going to bring that, all those tribes, the faithful from every tribe. It talks about 144,000. That simply means a perfect number of Jews. That there will be this holy remnant. That's what that means. This true, authentic believers, the perfection of the, the faith. He will redeem them and pull them out of this fallen, fallen world. And I'm going to give you this, just a few quick points here that you can take home today about the house of Joseph. You think about Joseph and Jesus. Joseph was the delight of his father. Jesus was the beloved son of his father. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. Jesus, it says his own, did not receive him. Joseph was sold into Egypt. Jesus fled to Egypt with his parents under distress. Joseph withstood temptation to sin. Jesus withstood temptations by Satan. Joseph was raised from the death of prison and exalted to the Pharaoh's side. Jesus was also raised from the dead and exalted to his father's right hand. Joseph was mercifully, uh, for mercifully forgave his brothers for causing him to suffer. Jesus too prays to the Father that he would forgive, that we forgive those who were responsible for his own suffering. Joseph took a Gentile bride and Jesus is calling a Gentile bride from the church today. Isn't that crazy? It's awesome. But here's the cool part for you and I. That's Joseph and Jesus. But here's us. Just like Jacob adopted his sons, the Bible says in Romans that we have received the spirit of what? Adoption. That we can cry out, Abba, Father. We are the adopted ones. We weren't in this to begin with, but because of Jesus' faithfulness, like Joseph, we get adopted. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It was because the faithfulness of Joseph, his sons got adopted. It's because the faithfulness of Jesus, we get adopted. Not my own faithfulness, but his. It says that Joseph named his son, I forget it. I, I've forgotten my bad past. The Bible says that we, look, God who looks at us, he has forgotten our trespasses. As Psalm says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us. So to God, we are that one that we could say, I've forgotten all those things, Manasseh. All right, forgotten all of our past. And then uh, Ephraim, meaning double fruit. When we are adopted into Christ, we receive the fruitfulness of that relationship. We receive his inheritance of the Holy Spirit. We receive the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we receive the same Holy Spirit that Jesus has, and that we'll even do greater works than he did when he was on those, this earth for three years. So we are doubly blessed as to the inheritance of Jesus Christ. And so that's us. We're these adopted children whom God has forgotten their past and doubly blessed with the fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit because, like Joseph, Jesus was faithful. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's good stuff. So our challenge here tonight, though, is um, despite all of that, you've got to finish well. Despite all that God could give us, the double portion, the fruitfulness the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, which provided all this stuff for us, it doesn't matter if we don't finish well. Finish the race. Hold, keep the faith. Fight the fight. Amen? Amen.